0: I'd like to now invite up our guest preacher this morning, Darren DePaul. Darren is a somewhat local guy, uh, uh, coming up, I think, from Yardley uh, to worship with us this morning. Darren is a graduate of Geneva College, earned his Master's of Divinity from Trinity School for Ministry. He's been full-time in ministry for over 20 years and joins us this morning with his family. Darren, thank you for joining us, and God bless you as you preach to us today from God's Word. Thanks, Tim. Well, I am uh, incredibly honored and uh, blessed to be with y'all this morning. It's been a beautiful morning already. I am joined by my wife, Jenny, of 22 years. Not as awesome as 62, but 22 is good. We're doing all right. And my oldest daughter, Amelia, who's back this weekend from Lancaster Bible College, and my youngest daughter, Ellie, uh, who's a sophomore in high school. So thanks for, uh, for having us here. When I came in this morning, uh, I noticed out front there this little card. It says, Wings and Trivia, Saturday, February 24th. And I pointed this out to my wife just a minute ago that I might have to come back for this um, because I do. I love wings. (laughs) One of the single greatest accomplishments in my life top three. I ate 68 wings once. Um, and, I, and I didn't feel that bad. Now, I did uh, a few years ago make a big mistake. I went to a Brazilian steakhouse. I don't know if you've ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse before. But I went to a Brazilian steakhouse with some friends, and I didn't know the, the gig. I didn't know what you were supposed to do, right? You go in, they give you a little card, and, and you sit down, you put the card on your table. Well, when you're done, like when you've had enough, you're supposed to flip the card over. I didn't know that. And I just kept eating and eating. And I got what's called the meat sweats. Has anybody ever had them? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. It is terrible. I thought I was gonna die. Um, so anyhow, I don't know why I shared that, but anyhow. I am honored to be here this morning, and uh, you are stuck with me uh, this week and next week. I apologize for that already, but uh, rather than kind of looking at two different passages uh, this week and next week, I thought it'd be kind of good to do a a mini series of sorts. Uh, So we we are going to be in Philippians three this week and next week, and I thought it would be helpful before. I kind of unpacked the passage already. Tim, uh, or before I unpacked the passage, Tim read it already. Um, It would be helpful to give a little bit of context for the book of Philippians. It's probably a book that a lot of us uh, really enjoy, we really love and appreciate. The Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church at Philippi in 62 A.D., And it's an incredible letter. It is filled with a lot of joy, which is one of the reasons why we love it. It's filled with a lot of uh, passion as well. Paul loved the church at Philippi. It was actually the first church he planted, the first church that he started in Europe. Philippi is located in modern-day Greece. The church was started, believe it or not, with three individuals. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. The church was started with a wealthy woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple garments, the scripture says. The church was also started with a former slave girl who had a radical transformation by God's grace. And it was also started by a Philippian jailer who came to faith in Christ along with his family. In the first few Uh, verses of the letter Paul gave thanks or gives thanks to the church of Philippi and he encourages them to pursue Jesus keep following Jesus what I told you about many years ago several years ago keep doing what you're doing from there in chapters 1 and 2 he shares about his desire to preach the gospel to live for Jesus and the need for Christians people like you and me to live a humble life and sacrificial life for Jesus. Now we could, if you're to read chapters 1 and 2, characterize his tone in those first two chapters as as pretty warm and positive. And then in chapter 3, you may have picked up on it when Tim read it, there's kind of a sudden shift. His tone shifts dramatically, and you can almost pick up as you read it, his frustration He's annoyed with some false teachers that have kind of infiltrated the church. His language is direct and it's bold. He didn't want the church to lose its primary focus. Now, as we'll see, the false teachers were distracting the congregation from the true gospel, from Jesus. Nothing but Jesus Every time I preach, uh, I try to give a big idea or a main point. I've, I've been doing this long enough to know and I'm not delusional. I don't expect people listening to, to remember every single thing that I preach. But if you can go out of here with one thing every week and go on your way and remember it as you go to work or school or whatever it is you're doing, that's a win. So the big idea is nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Now there are moments, just as a quick kind of transition, there are moments, and I'm sure you can relate to this, when I'm focused on one thing, but then somehow, some way, I, I get distracted by another thing. I wish I could say, I wish I could say it wasn't a daily occurrence, but uh, my wife and daughters are here and they would say quickly that I'm lying. I'm very good at getting distracted. Several years ago, I pulled into our driveway, got out of the driver's seat, opened up the back door, got my briefcase, placed my keys on the car's roof, closed both doors and went in the house. Forgot about my keys. An hour or two goes by, Jenny, my wife, needed to run to the grocery store, decides to take my car. Keys are on the roof. Unknowingly, she drives five, six, seven, ten 10 miles, whatever it was, with the keys on the roof of the car. Went shopping, came out of the grocery store, saw the keys still on the roof of the car. Called me and told me, not kidding, I needed professional help. <laughs> She might be right. (laughs) But all of us, though, all of us have this unique ability to get distracted and to lose focus, don't we? I mean, sometimes when it happens, right, it's laughable. Like keys on the roof of a car. (laughs) Ha ha, that's funny. But then sometimes losing focus can be devastating. This is especially true when it comes to the gospel. Most of us, like most churches, start with clarity. We know the message and mission of Jesus. It's clear. We understand the Christian faith is all about Jesus. But if we're not careful, if we're not paying close attention we can easily get distracted and lose focus. I mean, we can begin to focus on other things instead of the main thing. I mean, we might focus on religion more than Jesus. We might focus on good behavior more than Jesus. We might focus on doing churchy things... More than Jesus. But we've got to remember, right? It's Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. He needs to remain the main thing. Not only in your life, but here at Lighty's Church. Well, let's, let's take a few minutes and unpack this passage, okay? How about we do that? Enough with what I have to say. Let's see what God has to say. Look again if you have your scripture in front of you. If not, I'd love to encourage you to bring your Bible. Look again at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, he said, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. 16 times in Paul's letter to, to the church in Philippi, 16 times he uses the Greek word for rejoice or joy, 16 times in 104 verses. That's a pretty major theme. Anytime you see repetition in Scripture, it should cause your eyes to open up a bit. Here the call is simple, rejoice in the Lord. Now we need to notice that Paul wrote rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in yourselves. That's common right now, isn't it? Not rejoice in your circumstances or feelings. Those ebb and flow, right? Can't trust your feelings. Not rejoice in your status or wealth either. Rejoice in the Lord. Christians should be known as rejoicing people. Amen? Amen. See, we rejoice because Jesus has decisively delivered us from our sin. We rejoice because we've been delivered from God's wrath. We rejoice because he's given us, Jesus has given us life both now and for eternity. That's something to rejoice over. Simply, we rejoice because of the gospel, because Jesus has changed, radically changed our lives. Now, as we read on, we see that's where Paul is pointing the church. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now, as I said, he shared the gospel with them when he went to Philippi. You can read about that again in Acts chapter 16. And possibly, scholars believe that he may have actually sent them another letter that is lost. But what he said when he preached to them when he possibly, we don't know, wrote this other letter was, it's all about Jesus. You need Jesus. See, Paul knew, and I hope you and I know, that you never graduate from the gospel. From the time you came to faith in Christ to today, and upon your deathbed, you need the gospel. You don't graduate from it. See, he knew that the Philippians could, if they weren't careful, would lose their focus they needed to be reminded nothing but Jesus. See, reminding ourselves of the gospel, our moment-by-moment need for Jesus is vital. Whether you're at school or work or church or shopping, at home, wherever you are doing whatever you're doing, folding laundry, changing a diaper, in a boring staff meeting, you need the gospel. Amen. You need to be reminded, I am a sinner. I need Jesus, my Savior. I need Him. Just Him. People call that preaching the gospel to yourself. It's something you need to do every day. I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. Jesus. Thank you for saving me. See, hearing the simple gospel message and consistently repeating it to ourselves, Paul says, protects you. He actually says to the church at Philippi, it is safe for you. I'm sharing this message that I already shared with you because you need to hear it again because it's going to protect you and it's going to keep you safe from the people in here and the people out there. See, the gospel, Jesus protects us from our sin. Protects us from ourselves. It protects us from false teachers. Protects us from the world, whatever it is. Look at verse 2 again if you have your scripture. Here's where he gets a little punchy. Verse 2 look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. It's a little sarcasm in there. The dogs were people known as Judaizers. The Apostle Paul is calling them dogs, and it's not a term of flattery. I've got a, I've got a beautiful uh, Labradoodle. Her name is Gracie. She's 10 years old. My wife calls her my mistress. Uh, she goes everywhere with me. She's the sweetest dog ever. Uh, that's not what Paul was referring to. Dogs back then uh, weren't house pets. The Israelites, in particular, believed dogs to be unclean and dangerous. The dogs, these evildoers, were run ar- running around and they were coming into the church and they were saying, yeah, to be a Christian, you need to follow Jesus, but you also need to, to uphold the Old Testament law. In particular, you need to be circumcised. Jesus plus. They were causing a distraction in the church. See, again, it doesn't always happen just out there. Sometimes it happens in here, right? Right? We get distracted from the gospel. Nothing has the power or the ability to save but Jesus. Good works, baptism, the Lord's Supper, tithing, any other religious practice can't save you. They're good things, but they're not the main thing, right? Right? In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul wrote plainly, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. If you've been around a while, a Christian long enough, I'm sure you know this, but not all churches preach just Jesus. Sadly, many pastors and churches in our modern era are adding to the gospel, just like the Judaizers did 2,000 years ago. See, when we add anything to the gospel or subtract it, for that matter, when we add or subtract anything to the gospel, we've lost focus. Jesus is no longer the main thing. He's just another thing. You may have seen this before, but, but the equation is true. Jesus plus nothing, equals everything. Amen. That's it. Yeah. Well, look at verse 3 again. Paul wrote, For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence, he says, in the flesh. In other words, true followers of Jesus put all their trust, all their faith in Jesus, and nothing else. As I was studying earlier this week, and I think it's God's providence, but as I was studying earlier this week, it reminded me of the hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. We just sang it. Thank you, Lord. I'm not going to sing, because that would be dreadful, (laughs) but listen again to the words of the hymn. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength is indeed small. I don't know what happened. I hear the Savior say, we can just use this if need be. How's that? No? Okay. Still no? We can use this if we have to. I could turn this off. How's that? Anything? Bueller? Bueller? happens. Thank you. Thank you. How's that? No? We can use this. What do we want to use? Either one. You tell me. That's better. This one? Okay. Here we go. All right. Nothing but the blood. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. I hear the Savior say, thy strength is indeed, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. Yes. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I mean, it's pretty clear in that hymn, it, it is nothing but Jesus. And that needs to be our our daily mindset. It's not about me. It's all about him. And isn't that what Paul wrote? He said, I put no confidence in the flesh. There's no confidence in me. I just want to pause here just for a second. Is your confidence in something or someone else other than Jesus? Jesus. Let's be honest with yourself just for a moment. Is your confidence in your job? Is your confidence in your wealth? Maybe friends or family. Maybe your confidence is in your personality. You've got a glowing, sweet personality. Everybody tells you that, and you're just, you're just the best. Is your confidence in your education or your church attendance? Listen, all those things are good things, but are they better than Jesus? no and see sometimes again we need to be reminded of that I'm, I'm i'm good i'm i'm fine i'm blessed i have all these amazing things going for me a beautiful house kids grandkids job retirement i have all these great things but i have them because of jesus and even if all those things were gone i still have jesus See, your salvation is secure because of him. Now, I love verses 4 through 6. Because we kind of see Paul's irritability coming out. And his desire to correct the Judaizers. He uses their argument, Jesus plus the law, he uses it against them. Look again at what he said. It's kind of a humble brag. In other words, what he's saying is, I was the the picture-perfect Israelite. He had everything that the Judaizers thought was so important. But, he wrote, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I hope you love these verses as much as I do. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, Paul, scholars believe, is seemingly looking back to his Damascus Road experience, Acts chapter 9, when he met Jesus. At that moment, before his conversion, Paul thought he had everything, but in reality, he had nothing. I count everything as loss. Everything in my former life is a loss. Everything, my Greek is terrible, everything in Greek means everything. (laughs) The entirety, the totality of his privileged position, I counted all loss because now I have Jesus. Jesus. Now, my friends, this is basic Christianity. But how easy is it for us to forget it? Compared to Jesus, anything and everything else in this life is worth nothing. Christians should count everything as lost because Jesus is better I was in youth ministry for 15 years and I used to say that constantly to our students. Jesus is better. Well, Pastor Darren, what is he better than? Anything. Everything. Nothing stands up to the God of the universe who loves you and who died for you. Now notice how personal again Paul was. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not a Lord, not even the Lord, my Lord, my Lord. I don't know where you are this morning spiritually. My hunch is, room this size, there are some doubters, some wondering, some yet not saved. Is Jesus your Lord, your Savior? Your king. You're everything. Now Paul continued to build his case against the Judaizers. And he's trying to keep the church focused on Christ. Look at the second half of verse eight. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain. Christ. Now, I'm reading from the ESV. The Greek word here is skubalon. The ESV translate, translates it, as most translations do, as, as rubbish. Your translation may say garbage. Both translations are too weak and water down the intensity of what Paul is communicating here. Now, this Greek word, this is the only place it shows up in the New Testament the only place. But it does appear in other Greek writings. And it's better translated, you may have heard this before, as dung, or refuse, or feces. Now, Paul is not using vulgar language here. Instead, he's trying to be quite vivid. Everything that I thought was so important so cool, so valuable, is worthless as that. That's what it is. See, only Jesus is worth losing everything for. Why? Why? Because in Jesus, you gain everything. Remember in... Matthew 13, Jesus is listening, just he's preaching through a whole bunch of parables, kind of one right after another in Matthew 13. And there's a really short one tucked in there. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to what? by the field. That's it. See, when we're in Christ, we gain everything. We gain life. We gain freedom, both now and for eternity. We gain it all. All right, hang with me. Verses 8 and 9 again. For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, Paul is using a word here that we don't really use in our modern vernacular. When was the last time you heard righteousness? Other than when we're singing it or reading Scripture, it's not a word we throw around much in our modern culture. Biblically speaking, a righteous person would be someone whose entire life, their thoughts, their actions, their behavior, and so on, is in complete conformity to God's perfect and holy law. Think about that for a second. Perfect, holy law. the Bible is clear, right? Only righteous people go to heaven. Only righteous people are spared from hell. Only righteous people will spend eternity with God. Yet, Paul writes in Romans 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. No one is righteous. No one but Jesus. That's the gospel. Jesus, as the perfect and sinless God-man, could live the life we could never live. Jesus, again, as the perfect God-man, could die on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future Jesus, through the power of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, could be risen from the dead and give you and I life both now and for eternity. That's the gospel. Amen. Lord, yes. See, when you place your faith in Jesus, it took me a long time as a young... I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was 19. It took me several years to get this. And I love when the light bulb goes off for especially young believers when they get this. When you place your faith in Jesus, his righteousness becomes your righteousness. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Great passage to memorize. Theologians call this the great exchange. And it is. Because Jesus takes your unrighteousness from you and gives you, trades with you, his perfect righteousness. What? That's incredible. We receive this gift of grace from no one. Or nothing else but Jesus. I love how Paul closes the letter, or this chapter rather, I'm sorry. He said, That I may know Jesus, I may know this one who gave me the perfect righteousness, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now at this point in Paul's life, when he wrote to the church at Philippi, he had been following Jesus for 30 years. He's not a baby Christian anymore. Some of you have been following Jesus for 30 years plus. But do you notice what he's saying here? His desire has not changed. I still want to know Jesus. Sorry about the feedback. We're going to make it. We'll be all right. 30 years. And he's saying, I still want to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. So whether you've been following Jesus for 30 minutes Or 30 years, do you share Paul's primary desire? I want to know Christ. I want to know him more yesterday. I want to know him more than I did yesterday. And I want to know him more tomorrow. See, Paul knew that as he followed Jesus, his life would look different. Even as he suffered, even as he laid in prison, I'm growing in Christ. Why? Because I'm pursuing Christ. See, our lives are transformed more and more into his image as we follow him. Now, this is stunning. But as you read verses 10 and 11, the same power that enables us to reach the resurrection of the dead when we meet Jesus in glory at our death or, Lord willing, when he returns this afternoon, I'm praying for. The same power that will help us reach the resurrection of the dead is the same power that is living in you right now. It's the same power, the Holy Spirit, that's giving you all you need to live a righteous and holy life for the glory of the Lord that you are serving and following. Well, Let me bring this to a close. Some of you are like, thank you, Jesus. I'm hungry. Let me bring this to a close. And this might catch a few of you off guard for a minute, but just stick with me. You and Jesus and this whole Christian thing, you're not partners in any of this. Salvation from beginning to end, wherever you are in that spectrum, towards your latter years, (laughs) Time to meet Jesus, or whether, again, it's only been a few minutes. Salvation from beginning to end is all about Jesus. It's not about you. And for some of us, we listen to too many TV preachers and too much stuff out there, and somehow we get it twisted, and we start thinking, it's all about me, it's all about me. No, no, no. No. It's all about Jesus. And the best thing that any one of us can do today is to come to that realization It's all about him, not about me. Don't get distracted. Don't lose focus. How many of you, every hand should go up. If not, well, my wife's hand might not go up. I don't know. How many of you love church potlucks? Okay, some hands go up. I love them because I get the best fried chicken and Potato salad. At I could swim in potato salad. I love it. And wings, I do. Oh, Lord, wings. But just imagine for a second. I know this is, you know, illustrations. Pastors give illustrations sometimes. And they can only go so far. But just imagine for a second. Jesus invites you to his potluck. And you're thinking, I'm going to bring my famous potato salad. Or the jello mold that my grandmother gave me. People still eat jello? Weird. Whatever it is, whatever your thing is that you bring to your potluck and you think it's so amazing, Jesus is going to look at you and say, I don't want it. I'll supply everything. But Jesus, I can bring my famous egg salad. Nope. Jesus doesn't want it. He wants you. That's what he wants. Your good works, your good looks. I look good today. Got a few compliments on the tie. Thank you for those. But your good works, your good looks, your good intentions mean nothing compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. You need Him. Just Him. Nothing but Jesus. So this week, maybe today, you're going to be tempted to lose sight. Remember those three words. Nothing but Jesus. I want to close us in prayer here if I could just in this time but I'd love for you just to bow your head for a minute and just think for a second if there is anything distracting you from Jesus today maybe this week I invite you to surrender it to him Take a moment, whatever that is, whatever that thing is, it might be your family, your job, situation in our world, whatever it is, it's getting you distracted, keeping your eyes off of Christ. Give it to Him now. Jesus, we come before you humbly and thankfully. And God, we want to we believe, we want to live out that it is all about you. Yeah. So help us, God, to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit living and breathing in us. Give us all that we need to say 20 minutes from now, few days from now, a few months from now, it is nothing but Jesus. God, thank you for the simple gospel. I want to pray just quickly over the students that may maybe gone this weekend, God, that you are and have radically changed some of their lives. That even in this moment as I'm praying, maybe some are receiving Christ for the very first time. Yes. Change their lives, God, for your good glory and for their good as well, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.